Hello everyone and welcome back. It's the BMW Blog Podcast. This is episode 26. And uh, last week we had HRE Wheels uh, President Alan Peltier on and he was great, answered a lot of questions and he was super helpful. And he overall just gave some really great insight into uh, the world of aftermarket wheels because it's a it's a very popular world among car enthusiasts. You know, a lot of car enthusiasts just really, really love aftermarket wheels. So it was just really great to talk to him. Uh, but we have another episode this week, obviously. Uh, no guest, though. No, it's, uh, it's me solo again this time. And that's not so bad. Come on, you guys know you love hearing my nasally uh, prepubescent voice. But um, no, we have a, a good one this week for you today because there are some interesting topics that have been floating around uh, the past couple of weeks. So I'd like to talk to you about them. Uh, mainly one that recently just kind of broke the internet for a little bit was the, uh, the BMW M4 Grand Coupe or Grand Coupe. And the reason, uh, for that is because it, you know, there was rumors and not rumors. There was actually a report that it was coming for sure. And then we, uh, we reported on that. And then soon after reporting on that, found out that that wasn't the case. So we'll talk about that a little bit. I also want to talk about the new Mercedes Benz S class because it leaked, uh, last night, actually, uh, at the time of recording this it was just one night ago um and that's a really interesting car and the the pictures were really interesting so i'd like to talk about that and also something that i've actually been thinking about and kind of just talking about uh with other enthusiasts and it's the bmw x7 and it's something that it's a car that honestly i think most enthusiasts thought was going to be just a complete just complete heresy just a complete waste of bmw's time and enthusiast time but it turns out that even enthusiasts really, really like it. A lot of them do, and I, I've I've come in, come across this with, you know, from talking with other enthusiasts that uh, it's a car that a lot of enthusiasts actually like, and it's one that I really like personally, uh, and it surprised me. So uh, I want to talk about that because that's an interesting topic. But first, obviously, the big news is the BMW M4 Grand Coupe, and it's Grand Coupe in American English. I'm not going to say Grand Coupe over and over and over again because that's just not how America works. Uh, but it's, uh, it's the M4 Grand Coupe and auto car, I think was the first to break the news that the M4 Grand Coupe was legit, that BMW had greenlit the M4 Grand Coupe and it was going to be made officially. Um, and then we rolled with that because auto car usually has really great sources. Um, and then, I mean, the entire internet, every car outlet, you know, media publication in the world was running with this at the M4, there was going to be an M4 Grand Coupe. And, uh, and then we learned from our sources that that's not true, actually. Our sources at BMW tell us that there will not be an M4 Grand Coupe. They had thought about it, they were considering it, uh, but it never actually got greenlit. They never actually are, they're not going to be moving forward with it. Now, it's really interesting uh, that BMW isn't going to be making it. Um, and there's a few reasons why. One of them is that I actually think it's smart that BMW is not making it. Um, because for years, BMW enthusiasts have been saying, we need an M4 Grand Coupe because the, the 4 Series Grand Coupe, the F36 generation 4 Series Grand Coupe was a great car. It, it still is a great car. Um, you know, it looks really good. It's fun to drive. It's more practical than a 3 Series. Um, it's just a really, really good car. So fans were wanting, had been wanting an M4 version. But after some deliberation, after some thinking about it, we actually think that it might make sense to stay away from it. Reason being, um, it might take away from the M3. Now, the M3 is the most iconic name 
in BMW's lineup, right? The M3. It's the most the iconic sports sedan in the world. It basically invented the segment it plays in. And sure, it didn't actually invent it, but it, it really made it. It really made that segment popular. It made that segment mainstream. And it's the car that every other manufacturer chases when they enter that segment. So the M3 is an icon. So if you were to take a, an M4 Grand Coupe, if that were to be made, it would be also a four-door car. It would be it would have the same engine based on the same chassis, same transmission, same you know rear-wheel drive slash all-wheel drive system, and all of that. It would be basically the same underneath the skin, just with a, a sleeker roofline and a more practical trunk. And if I'm a customer, why would I choose the M3 over the M4 Grand Coupe? They're essentially the same car, but the M4 Grand Coupe is better right it's better looking it has a bigger trunk um it's just a better car overall you know what customers are going to spend the same amount of money for a car that's technically less like the m3 would be less car than the m4 grand coupe because the m4 grand coupe has that lift back tailgate so it's more practical and that alone makes it more car so I think that if BMW were to make the M4 Grand Coupe, it would cannibalize M3 sales. And that's a bit of a problem. Or the other way around. People might just say, well, the M3 is the icon. It's the legend. Let me get that instead. And then it would cannibalize M4 Grand Coupe sales. And then now the M4 Grand Coupe is useless. So I don't think BMW wants... I think that's kind of... That was a big reason why BMW said no to the M4 Grand Coupe. Because they already have the M3. Um, and it's the icon. You don't want to cannibalize its sales. It's sort of like Porsche with the 911. Like the Cayman... Is never going. They're never going to let the Cayman become, you know, truly, truly great. Like I mean, it's an incredible car. Don't get me wrong, but they're never going to let the Cayman reach its full potential. That's a better way of putting it, because it would be better than the 911. It's mid-engine. It's smaller. It's more fun. It would be better. It would be a better sports car than the 911. And the 911 is Porsche's icon, so they're not going to let the Cayman cannibalize 911 sales. In the same way that BMW isn't going to build a car that's going to cannibalize M3 sales. The M3 is BMW's icon. It's their legend. It's the car that they, you know, it's their bread and butter sports car. Um, so they're not going to let the M3 lose customers to anything else in the lineup. So I think that was, it's actually a good, smart move by BMW to do that, to, to axe the M4 Grand Coupe. But also there's another car that's going to be basically the same as the M4 Grand Coupe, um, except entirely electric, and that's the BMW i4. Interestingly enough, the i4 is going to be the most powerful um four series of all it's gonna be more powerful than the m3 and the m4 so if the m4 grand coupe exists and the and the i4 exists and they're both they both pretty much look the same because they're going to look really really similar if they both pretty much look the same but the i4 is more powerful and it's not too much more money and it's all electric i think most customers would go for the i4 thus making the m4 grand coupe a bit useless like rendering it obsolete because you know people are going to get the m3 or the i4 and no one's going to really buy the m4 grand coupe so or the other way around people are going to say well the m4 grand coupe is cheaper and it's probably just as fast because the i4 is in a way more a lot more because the batteries and have a longer range because you know it's gasoline so you know the m4 grand coupe might actually eventually cannibalize i4 sales and then you have another problem. So I think that it's smart for BMW to not build an M4 Grand Coupe, even though that's something that a lot of fans have wanted for a really long time. I think it's probably wise for BMW to kind of shy away from it. 
And to be honest with you, if I'm BMW and I wanted to make another M variant, I think the M3 Touring is probably the best bet. I think the M3 Touring is far more necessary than the M4 Grand Coupe. Um, I think it's the car that BMW should be making right now, even over the sedan. I think it's, I think it's a car that would get enthusiasts more excited uh, than anything else right now. Honestly, if BMW were to make an M3 Touring, it would blow the internet to pieces. I mean, the enthusiast fan base would explode with excitement over an M3 Touring, and it's because there had never has been one. But the M3, so I mean, the M3 always kind of got away with not having a wagon version because it was the motorsport car you know it wasn't an Audi RS4 Avant uh, which is more of a really fast daily it wasn't the C63 AMG which is you know sort of hard like you know you know tire smoking monster so it's kind of hilarious that it's a wagon it was more of the M3 was always the scalpel uh, you know versus the sledgehammer so it sort of made sense that it wasn't a wagon because wagons are a little bit heavier and it's just the balance is a little bit different. So it just kind of made, made sense. But now with the M3 being mostly all wheel drive and, uh, you know, just more electronic and more controlled than ever before, I think wagon makes more sense now than ever. And it makes more sense to me, at least in the lineup than an M4 Grand Coupe. Because an M4 Grand Coupe really isn't any different than an M3, except for it's a little bit, it should be a little bit cooler looking, which is also debatable because, you know, some people like regular sedans more. But aside from that, they're really the same car. Um, but an M3 Touring would actually provide a ton of extra practicality. You know, you're not just adding a little bit, you're not just adding like a slightly more practical trunk opening. You're actually adding like a, you know, longer roof with more cargo space. And an M3 Touring would be you know, a car that people could really, really daily around and kind of get rid of, you know, the SUV. Because a lot of people buy M3s or M4s and then also, you know, an X3 or an X5 or something. But an M3 Touring could be a true, uh, you know, do-it-all uh, sports car. And that would be amazing if that were the case. If that came out, BMW would have something to take on the RS4 Avant. Because honestly, the RS4 Avant, the new one in Europe... It's an incredible car because it's super fast, it's good looking, and it's a practical wagon. Same with the C63 AMG. Um, you know, and now that the M3 isn't the scalpel that it used to be, it just makes a lot of sense for it to gain that wagon body style. I think that would be a really awesome move by BMW if they were to come out with an M3 Touring. And if they're going to come out with a new variant of anything, you know, M3 or M4, I think that's what it should be. Um, so I think that would be really, really, really exciting. And honestly, I think you would get, I think BMW would gain a ton of customers. I think people, you know, enthusiasts who know, just car enthusiasts in general, not of any brand, uh, you know, affiliation, car enthusiasts in general who know that BMW has never made an M3 Touring would see that and immediately want one because it would be the first, you know, the first of its kind. It would, it would explode. I mean, the enthusiast fan base would explode. And it would be really, really amazing to see. So I, I wish, I really, really, really hope that BMW does that because that would be incredible. It's doubtful, uh, you know, it, it, at, at all. At best, it's doubtful, at best. Um, but I think that would be amazing. Let's move on, though, because there's another topic I, I want to talk about. It's a concrete car. You know, it's not uh, just speculation. But it's the new Mercedes-Benz S-Class. Now, I know there are a lot of BMW fans who want to, you know, hang me upside down by my ankles and punch my face for even just mentioning the Mercedes-Benz S-Class, but it is a hugely important car, not just for the industry, but for also for BMW, because the S-Class has been, for 
ever, for as long as I can remember, the best luxury car in the world. It just is. Um, you know, it's it's the better luxury car versus the 7 Series of the Audi A8. It just always has been. Um, and it's so good, yet so much cheaper than cars like a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley, um, that it's just the best luxury car in the world. It just, it strikes that perfect balance between supreme luxury and reasonable pricing. And I say reasonable because there's $100,000 here in America, but, um, you know, it's not $300,000 like a Rolls. So relatively, it's a, it's a reasonable price. But anyway, so the, the S-Class is a hugely important car for the industry because it's always the benchmark. And when a new S-Class comes out, that's great. That just pushes BMW to work harder to make a better 7 Series. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you, I like the new G11 7 Series. I think it's a good car, but it's not as... I wanted it to be so much better than it is. And it is a very good car. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm not a snob. I would kill to own one and live with one every day because they're incredible. But it's not as incredible as the S-Class. And, you know, when Mercedes kind of sets that standard, it sort of pushes BMW to work harder. They didn't so much with the G11. I don't think it was quite up to par. But, you know, every time a new S-Class comes out, that's going to reset the competition a little bit. BMW's going to say, okay, here's our new benchmark. Here's what we have to beat. Let's go and beat it. And so the better the S-Class gets, the better the 7 Series gets, and the better the Audi A8 gets, and so on and so forth, and, you know, it's all cyclical, and, you know, I've said this forever, the more great cars on the road, the better for the customers, because excellence breeds competition, and then, you know, you create that, sort, or competition breeds excellence, I'm sorry, I got that backwards, <laughs> uh, competition breeds excellence, so the more great cars on the market, the more great cars will get, and the better for the customer. So we want the S-Class to succeed, we do, we have to, because, again, it makes the entire market better, which makes our lives better. But also, the new one looks really good. And I say that because uh, the new leaked photos that came out re- recently showed the outside. And from the outside, it looks like an S-Class. You know, it has, you know, some new taillights that look a little bit dumpy to me, honestly. I think m- most Mercedes uh, rear end, this most Mercedes sedan rear ends kind of have this like dumpy, like, dumpy butt look almost like a they're, it's, they're wearing like a diaper that's sagging too low it just doesn't it's weird to me i don't know maybe I'm, maybe i'm strange but it just looks weird to me um but the front end looked really good and the inside so there were some leaked photos of the inside now that's what really matters in an s-class because it's a luxury car and inside the s-class uh we saw in those leaked photos that the the cabin is much more high tech than uh it is now and i have to say I think it looks great. So now, rather than the, you know, two side-by-side screens that Mercedes and BMW have had forever, um, it's going for a little bit of a different approach. The guys at Mercedes, they, they keep the, the the instrument panel ahead of the steering wheel. That's pretty much the same style. You know, it's going to be a different one, obviously, but it's the same style. Similar size screen right in front of your face. But rather than the infotainment screen kind of right next to it and on most Mercedes now it's sort of all built into one it's like one gigantic horizontal screen that com- that's comprised of two actual screens one for you know gauges and one for uh, the MBUX uh, infotainment system but now instead of that second screen to the right or to the left here in the UK instead of that second screen uh, up on the dashboard it's much lower now and it's kind of built into this like waterfall tier effect on the uh, on the center console which is actually really nice because it angles the screen up to your face um, which makes it easier to see but also it's perfectly in line with like if your elbow is on the armrest you can kind of rest your hand 
right on uh, right on the console and just easily touch what you need to on the screen. So it makes actually interacting with this touch screen easier. And I don't like touch screens much, but I've noticed this in Audi's new systems. So Audi has a, a dual screen setup like that. And, and it, it, admittedly, it's not the easiest to use. It's nowhere near as easy or as intuitive as a rotary dial, you know, with iDrive. But um, it does make it nice when it's kind of tilted upward like that at you because it makes it easier to tap buttons on a touch screen uh, while driving without tapping the wrong thing. You just have a bit more hand control your hand is a bit steadier and honestly in the mercedes it looks even better than in, in audi's uh it looks really really good it looks like you'll be able to really easily uh interact with that screen uh without it getting too confusing while you're driving so that's really good but also it just looks really high tech and the screen was massive so you're going to get this really techy really modern look uh that i think most Tesla fans love. I think it's something that mo that actually let me rephrase that. I think it's something that most that attracts most people to Tesla. People look inside of a Tesla, they see that giant screen, they say, "Wow, this is the future. This is high tech." Because we're like fish and we're attracted to anything that's shiny. So, you know, you see that giant screen, you go, "Wow, this is a high tech car." And you look inside the S class, and you do, you say, "Wow, that this is a big step up in terms of uh, technology." So. I think that was really cool to see. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But another interesting thing that I noted uh, when I saw these pictures initially, behind the driver's display, now this could be just because it's an unfinished dashboard on a prototype, but there was a massive hole on the top of the dashboard right behind the digital driver's display, the digital screen for the gauges. And typically there's a little bit of a hole in most modern luxury cars because that's where the head-up display goes. So there's a screen in there with like a mirror thing and it shines it up onto the, the, the windshield and that's how the head-up display works. So there's like always a little hole there for the screen. But this was enormous. Like this is right where that's supposed to be, but it was huge. It was like probably, a, you know, a square foot. It was a really, really large opening. So I'm wondering what the hell that is, and if that's a head-up display, it's going to display a massive surface area on the windshield. So that leads us to think, if that's the case, I'm not saying that's definitive, you know, I don't know for sure, but if that's the case, is it going to be some sort of augmented reality uh, screen? You know, like, because Mercedes-Benz right now, uh, in the A-Class at least, has... A system where there's a camera in the front of the car that's that sends a signal to the navigation screen. So when you have your nav up, it's showing you actually, you know, the image uh, of a live video feed of what's in front of you from the camera on the front to the nav screen, and then it uses augmented reality to, you know, put the navigation arrows on where you're supposed to go right on that screen. So it's like it's then it, you see the navigation arrows kind of like go down the street in the screen. That's really cool. Now, is Mercedes going to do something like that uh, on the windshield? That would be amazing. That would be really, really cool on a giant head-up display. Like, that would be really awesome. Or is it going to be some sort of autonomous screen? So Tesla is famous for, with its autopilot system, in the screen, you can see, you know, like what the car sees, so to speak. So you can see your little Tesla um, and there's like a little graph, it's, it's all, you know, in, in graphics, but it's a little graphic of a Tesla and then all like the cars around you and stuff like that. So it's giving you a, an image or display of what the car is understanding, what it's seeing, what it knows is around itself. And that it's really helpful. BMW has a similar system now. It's not as, uh, you know, it's not as good as Tesla's, but it's, it's pretty good. 
Um, but is Mercedes going to do something like that, maybe, on the windshield, though? You know, in a head-up display? Because that would be really great. You have it, you know, right in your line of sight. Um, and the S-Class is supposed to have level 3 autonomy. Now, we'll see when that happens. We'll see if that ever happens when the S-Class actually comes, because level 3 autonomy seems um, kind of far away if, you know, if it even comes at all, because I've read that a lot of automakers want to skip level 3 and go right to level 4, because... The legislation is so damn slow that by the time legislation comes around for <laughs> autonomous vehicles, we'll have the tech for level four. So we'll see if that actually ever happens. But that's uh, that's what is said to be happening. Mercedes is claiming level three autonomy. So we'll see. Um, but those were two really interesting uh, tech features that we saw or maybe have seen in the new S-Class. And it, it gets me thinking that BMW is going to really need to step its tech game up and not just have a cool iDrive screen for the next 7 Series. It's going to have to be really, really advanced if it wants to keep up, especially, you know, with Tesla being so high-tech and, you know, Audi's coming out with some high-tech stuff. So BMW, the 7 Series is great. Don't get me wrong, it's a great car. But compared to what we've just seen in the S-Class, the tech in the 7 Series seems a bit old hat. It seems a bit dated. Uh, and that, that's kind of shocking because you get in a 7 Series and it's a pretty high-tech machine. You know, it's it's really cool. It's got some really nice tech in there. But compared to that gigantic screen, again, we're like fish. I see the gigantic screen. I see the big shiny thing and I'm drawn right to it. So maybe that's just all that is. But it seems a bit superior to what BMW is working on at the moment. Uh, but we'll see. You know, we'll see. You know, BMW is going to see that, obviously, and that's going to be worked into uh, its future plans and, you know, benchmarking that and you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens in the future. But again, you want the S-Class to be good because if the S-Class is good, that makes the 7 Series better. Uh, it just always has, you know, been that way and that's how it is with every car and every sort of competition in general. So, uh, that looked really interesting and the rest of the interior looked good too. You know, like the dash vents looked cool. The, uh, the steering wheel looked really cool. The seats look typically amazing, you know, as all Mercedes S-Class seats are. You know, and I don't doubt that it's going to be incredible build quality-wise, and it's going to have lovely materials, and it's just going to be wonderful to, to sit in and drive, because it always is. Um, I, did, I do have to say, though, the piano black plastic was a bit disappointing to see, because piano black plastic, it's, they call it piano black trim, but it's really just shiny plastic, and it just cheapens every single car. You know, I don't even like carbon fiber in cars anymore, because it's just fancy plastic. You know, for trim, I want, give me, especially in a luxury car, you want three things. Metal, wood, or leather. That's it. I don't want anything else. I don't want fancy plastic in an S-Class or a 7 Series or anything like that. You know, no no piano black. That's gross. So I was a little disappointed to see that. But obviously, it's just a pre-production car. So uh, who really cares? But, um, so the S-Class looked pretty good. And we're really ex interested, I don't want to say excited, we're really interested to see that because that's the 7 Series main competition and it's the car that everyone's going to benchmark. So it's an important car for the industry. And it was really interesting to see those leaked photos um, last night. Again, at the time of recording this, it was last night. Uh, and if you haven't seen them, check them out. BMWblog.com. We have an article on the leaked photos. Uh, so you can check that out there. Now, the last car I want to talk about now is the BMW X7. Really, really interesting car because, and I know it's nothing new. The X7's been out for a year already. Um, you know, it's nothing new at all. It's actually, oh my God, is it almost two years now that the X7's out? It's a long time. It's a long time. So it's nothing new. But what I've seen that's new is a growing appreciation from the enthusiast fan base. Because the X7, before the X7 came out, I mean, you ask any enthusiast about 
BMW making a three-row massive SUV. And it was like, oh, BMW has lost their minds. They've lost their way. They don't know what they're doing anymore. They're going against their brand heritage, and they're going to die alone. Like, it's the, it was like the worst thing that ever happened, if you ask BMW enthusiasts. However, the X7 comes, and it's excellent. It's a great, great, great car, and it shocked me. I was, I didn't, you know, think that it was the end of BMW, but I really was like, oh, a giant three-row SUV, that's just BMW trying to print some money. That's really, they're not going to put any, any effort into it. It's just going to be a big, squishy SUV. It's going to be like a big X5, and it's going to be, you know, lame. I, I really wasn't interested in it at all uh, until I drove it, and I really, really was blown away. I really was. It's a great, great driving SUV. It's so much more fun than I thought it would be. It actually has like engaging steering, as ridiculous as that sounds. It, I think it's better. I think it drives better than the X5. You know, I think it drives better than any big SUV I've ever driven. Um, it's really quite remarkable. And the ride quality is superb. BMW struck an excellent balance there. And if you get the V8 model, man, what an engine. And I know it's the same 4.4 liter V8s and everything else. Uh, that BMW makes really, but it, man, it just, it sounds great. It feels great. And it makes that gigantic SUV seem like it's a hot hatchback. It is so quick and it just explodes out of, you know, you know, off of, off the line, you know, at red lights and stuff. It's just so fast and it's just such a lovely thing to be in. It really is. I really honestly could not believe how good it is to drive. Uh, when I when I first drove one, and I can't wait to drive more. I want to drive more variants of it. I want to drive the M50i, and I can't wait for the Alpina XB7. That is going to be sensational, I think. I think it's going to be a wonderful thing. Uh, and I've noticed that more enthusiasts are starting to at least admit that, admit the same feelings, because I think it's popular to dog the X7. I think it's it's a it's an easy punching bag, you know, because it is on paper, such a grotesque thing, you know, it weighs, you know, over two tons, it's absurdly expensive, it's incredibly wasteful, uh, you know, it, it's exactly what we don't need right now in this, in this climate, and I don't even just mean, like, the actual climate outside, I mean, like, the, this, you know, economic climate, you know, having a monster SUV that just wastes everything, it wastes fuel and resources and pollutes the air more, and it's just, it's the most wasteful sort of vehicle you can buy. So I think it's an easy punching bag, but it's hard to actually hate it once you've driven it because objectively speaking in a vacuum, forget all outside factors about the climate and, you know, fuel prices and anything like that. Forget all those outside factors, just judge it on how it is as a car. And it's outstanding. It's just, it's such a good SUV and I, it almost pains me to say that because I'm 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 one of the you know let's get rid of SUVs and bring in all wagons I'm I'm on that team but you know I'm also an objective journalist at this point and I have to you know judge cars as they are not as I want them to be and it really is good it's a great car and surprisingly uh, I think the X7 is a better car than the 7 series I really do I think if I had the money, if I was in that position, I was looking for something, I was looking for a luxury car between, you know, $80,000 and $100,000, I think I would walk right past the 7 Series and go straight for the X7. Honestly, I'd probably get an S-Class. <laughs> uh, don't kill me for that one, BMW fans. But if I were going sticking, sticking with BMW, I would go for the X7 and not the 7 Series because 
not only do I actually think it's more enjoyable to drive, I know, that sounds like, that's heretical. I know I'm going to be murdered tomorrow for saying this. But I think that the X7 is better to drive, and I think that it's better value. Admittedly, I will say, it's ugly. <laughs> it's not a good-looking uh, thing at all. Uh, car or otherwise, it's just not good-looking. It's sort of, like, oddly proportioned, and the grill is the size of, a you know, a dam. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, but who really cares when you're inside of it? Because the interior is fabulous. The material quality is off the charts. You know, ride quality is outstanding. You have more head. You have more headroom than in some convertibles. It's like ridiculous. You know, it, it's it's wonderful to be in. I remember I actually drove one. It was an X7 XDrive 50i, so the V8 model. I drove it. Uh, on like a two-hour trip each way with my wife and son. We went to the Greenwich Concours uh, from South New Jersey all the way up to Greenwich, and that trip was it was actually quite interesting because my son had gotten like sick. So he was a little bit irritable, but he wasn't irritable in the car. It was funny. He was like super irritable uh, all day walking around. And we didn't really understand why until we kind of realized while we were there, he was getting sick. So we put him in the car. We took him home and he was super irritable walking around. But as soon as he got in the seven series and he's still little, he was in a car seat at the time, like, you know, uh, but still like the quiet refinement of it just soothed him. He just kind of went right to sleep and just calmed down. Uh, it's such a serene car. It's such so wonderful to be in. Uh, everything about it, everything about driving it is just really, really lovely. And I think it's better than the seven series, but it's also better value. Again, um, you know, they're around the same price and you're getting the same engines. You're getting the same transmissions. You're getting the same all wheel drive systems. Um, and, but this X seven has more space. It has three rows of seating as standard, you know, versus the seven series, which only has two rows of seating. And that's just one more. You know, so that extra row of seating is huge and the extra space, the extra headroom, the extra elbow room, it's just so much bigger on the inside. And when it comes to luxury, bigger really is better. So it's just more car for the money. And BMW can say whatever they want about the 7 Series being the true luxury flagship. And yeah, the design of the 7 Series is like marginally more luxurious on the inside, but what really matters in terms of luxury is not how fancy things look. It's how, you know, the touch points are, how comfortable the seats are, how comfortable you actually are in the car, the ride quality, headroom, elbow room, stuff like that. That's what matters more. And the X7 is better in all of those regards. So it's the better luxury car, if you were to ask me. And, you know, if it's the better luxury car at around the same price and it comes with much more room, I, th I don't think there's any question that it's the better the better buy. It's, it's certainly the better car than the 7 Series, and that seems blasphemous because the 7 Series is an icon, a luxury icon. The X7 is a new, bloated, overweight, unnecessary SUV in a time when bloated, unnecessary SUVs are more vulgar than they ever have been. So I think that it's difficult for a lot of people to admit how good the X7 is, but it is genuinely outstanding. Another thing, the X7 is the most practical SUV I've ever driven. Um, the way you fold down the rear seats, the, the third row, and actually all the seats in general, is the easiest I've ever seen in a car. Um, so you have, when you open the trunk, there are four buttons. There are actually six buttons. So there are, there's a button for each of the rear seats to fold them down independently. So you can fold down the second row seats independently and the third row seats independently. So you have four buttons there. But then there's also two other buttons. One is all down and the other one is all up. 
And that's brilliant because if you are, let's say, you know, you're driving your X7, you have to go to Home Depot and you have to fill it in with, you know, fill it up with, you know, some lumber or something. You got to put some big heavy items in there. Uh, you don't want to be pressing four buttons and holding them down forever. You just press one. You just press one and it goes max. It's called max cargo and it puts every seat down and makes it, you know, max cargo. It gives you the max cargo capacity. But let's say you have the third row down and one of the back seats down. And now all of a sudden you've got to throw some car seats in there and get some people in there. Instead of fiddling around with pressing individual buttons, you just hit max seating. It's a max seating button. You just press that button and it goes into the maximum seating position uh, for you. And that's just so easy. It's just so wonderfully easy. Uh, and it's easier than anything I've ever uh, been in. I, you know, I've been in the new... The first car I ever saw that had seating like that was the um, the Chevy Suburban, actually. Back when that came out. The current generation Suburban. I think it came out like 2014 or 2015 or something like that. And that had seating similar to that, but it wasn't as easy as this. And the same as the Audi Q7, which has pretty similar uh, seating. It, it's not as easy as this. But... More importantly, the most direct rival to the X7 is the Mercedes-Benz GLS class. And that the, the rear seating in that is not as easy. So not only is it actually really good as a luxury car, but it's a great family car. Um, you know, it has that practicality. Uh, those, those little features that make life nicer, you know, as, you're, as you use it every day. Uh, you know, those little features, that those are the ones that matter the most because they're what you, you're going to use all the time. You know, we could talk about you know, decibel ratings and all sorts of luxury crap all day long. But if it makes your life easier, uh, that's the ultimate luxury. You know, that's the ultimate luxury to make your life nicer. And the X7 does that with little practicality features like that. Uh, and the third row, here's another one. The third row in the X7 not only has USB-C charging points, uh, which is great. Imagine that for kids with iPads and stuff. That's just a lifesaver. But it also has a third row of, uh, as a fourth zone, technically, of climate. Uh, there's a little climate control HVAC setup back there. It's a little you know, panel of buttons that controls the temperature for the third row. Uh, so you have an independent fourth zone of climate. So you can actually really get cozy back there. And I'm, you know, I'm not a large man. I'm only five foot nine, about 160 pounds. But I was able to sit in the back seat in the third row of an X7 for like a 25-minute trip. It was all I was, you know, all I had the chance to uh, to do. So I, I I don't know if it would be comfortable for longer than that. But for about 25 minutes, it was nice. I didn't have a problem with that at all. I had my you know my USB-C port to plug my phone in. Uh, you know, I had climate controls. I had heated seats. There's heated seats back there. So and there's a little ambient lighting back there. So it's nice. It's like a nice little cozy spot. For us, for kids, it's not going to be comfortable for adults for a long period of time. But, you know, if you have a big family, the little kids, they can get back there and they can be cozy and they can have their little USB ports so they can you know, charge their iPads and all sorts of stupid crap. And uh, uh, they have their own climate zone. They probably won't be able to reach it because it's all the way up on the ceiling. But nevertheless, it's there. So it's those little things that make life nicer. They make they make ownership nicer. And I think it'd be the difference between choosing the X7 or the 7 Series or the X7 and the GLS class and things like that. I think those little features are what really make the X7 special because it's it's the attention to detail. BMW could have just made a big X5. They could have just slapped three more feet onto the back of an X5 and called it a day. But they didn't, you know. It's a, it's a really well thought out car. It's a comprehensive package. 
you know, BMW has really turned, you know, left no stone unturned. And that makes the X7 just, in my opinion, the best luxury car the brand makes. It's uh, it's just a lovely car. And I, <laughs> again, I don't like saying that. It almost feels gross saying that because it's such a ridiculous thing. You know, as a car, it's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, or as an idea, rather, it's ridiculous. But as an actual car, it's it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think I would buy one if I had the money. I really do. And I'm not a big SUV person. I'm the kind of guy who's like, I, give me a wagon. I don't want an SUV. I want a wagon or a hatchback. SUVs are useless. Uh, they're, or they're unnecessary, rather. They're unnecessary. So, uh, but I would buy an X7. I think it's a cool car. I think it's a really good car. It's really great to drive. And uh, I just wish it looked better, you know, because it is not good looking. But if it looked better, I think, I think that's also a big part of its problem. It looks so ridiculous. Enthusiasts don't want to admit that it's good because then they have to admit the ugly car is good. But uh, it's, uh, if it looked better, I think it'd have a bigger following for sure, actually. But um, yes, yeah, so that's all we have for this week. But we have some more interesting stuff coming. I want you guys to stay tuned. Um, we have some more guests lined up. We're going to schedule them. Uh, things are a bit hectic, as you can imagine, for everyone. You know, we're, you know, we're going a little nuts, you know, in quarantine and everyone's staying home and you know, it's kind of difficult and to try to schedule things over Zoom and whatnot. But, you know, we're we're getting there and other people are getting there as well. And we're all trying to kind of figure it out and our guests are trying to figure it out. And it, it's interesting. It's an interesting time. It's a pretty historic time. You know, no one in our lifetime has ever faced anything like this. So. We're all still learning, and uh, it's it's definitely interesting. But uh, we will have some more guests, so stay tuned. You know, keep listening to more episodes. We really appreciate the listenership, and we really appreciate you guys tuning in every week. Um, so yeah, and also as always, please ask me questions. Shoot me some emails, Nico at bmwblog.com. That's N I C O at bmwblog.com, and you can ask me anything, and I will answer it here on the podcast on the next episode. Uh, you know, literally ask me anything about cars, about whatever, and I'll, uh, I'll answer that. So anyway, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next time.